You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Emil Schedin, the CEO and co-founder at Refined. What's unique with Atlassian ecosystem that companies have always been willing to pay for good apps. So our cloud product is actually a SaaS product but we sell it as an app just to tap into this motion. So you basically what you buy is a little integration, then you get access to the SaaS product. Hi there, happy that you're tuning in for another episode of the SaaS Nordic podcast. And we are here, we are a couple of weeks away from the big SaaS 2023 event in Malmö. Daniel, what do you have to say about it? I can't wait. No. I can't, I can't wait to open up the doors and see all the happy people uh, to start the networking and the knowledge exchange. It's like, I feel like, you know, Christmas is around the corner. This is obviously the big element for us in, in our little business. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And for us, it's all about the people. So we are really looking forward to see you there. Uh, it's going to be a blast. And tickets are running out. So, I mean, we are, we are very close into the event now. So you should he- head over to sassiest2023.com and make sure that you don't miss out. And it is on April 18th and 19th in Baum, Sweden. Right. So um, I think that's everything you need to know. We have a great keynote speaker, April Dunford. Can you say something about her, Daniel? I mean, I, I don't want to uh, overdo it, but I think she's one of those persons that you cannot use strong enough words to describe who she is and what she's done. But in simple terms, she is considered to be, if not the best, one of the top three positioning experts in the world when it comes to helping tech companies find their unique positioning in a crowded space. And she's worked with, I don't want to drop names, but basically with everybody you know, all the big brands, and and she, she is helping people continuously with this thing. And she's a true visionary in this space. So uh, we have the great pleasure of her coming to the event and not only doing one session, she's actually doing two sessions for, for our audience and our community. And we also have exclusively for our members, the CEOs and the executives, there's a workshop that she's running where they're gonna really dig into over a few hours into some of the, the, the common and, and, and critical trends they need to be aware of now if you wanna stand out with your positioning. And now it's more than ever, like, you know, it's a crowded space, whatever space you're into. So really happy that she's with us. Um, we have a fantastic lineup of Nordic and international speakers. There are some fun side events and yeah, head over to the website and check it out. Now we're going to talk uh, with a person that runs a company that has uh, really made it. I would say that they are on a really great trajectory. So let's go on and see what we can learn from Emil. Today's guest is Emil Schedin, the CEO and co-founder at Refined. So welcome, Emil, to the SAS Nordic podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's great to have you with us, Emil. And uh, by the way, I love your cap. <laughs> like, are you a cap man? You wear a cap every day? Yes, uh, almost. And it's mainly because of laziness, but uh, also uh, <laughs> I like it. It's uh, I, I have like a, a history in action sports and, and the cap can 
sort of remind me of that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, you're going to have to tell us more about the action sports background. So obviously we know you a little bit because you're part of our CEO network. But for the ones that don't know Emil, like apparently you're into uh, action sports. What else? Who are you? <laughs> yes, I'm from Gothenburg uh, and ended up in Lund studying. Um, and if we start with my action sport career, I was in the middle of the... In Sweden, we had like um, a thing... Uh, called inlines. It was a really big thing back uh, on in the nineties. I think we are now. Yes. Um, so I was competing and doing a lot of that, and also skateboarding. Uh, and then I transitioned into uh, off-piste skiing, and uh, now I do a lot of uh, uh, downhill mountain biking. Okay, so inlines—that's like you know racing with rollerblades, or no? It was this. It was called aggressive inlines. It was <laughs> <laughs> martial arts meets roller skating. No, not really. No violence, but it was you—you um, you were going into ramps and jumping down for stra- stairs and uh, doing handrails, etc. So, ah. so similar to skateboard, but you did it with uh, with inlines. Cool. So this was very popular for like three, four years, then it's died out. <laughs> but then I start also skating instead. Cool. How many limbs have you broken? So the thing is that I haven't broken much, but I have, uh, my, my knees is not really <laughs> how they should be, but also my fingers are a little bit loose because they have been uh, been twisted uh, quite a lot of times. Um, okay. So I, I've been, I've been um, lucky. Okay. Okay, very cool. So uh, action sports. What about professionally? Like, you know, uh, what, what have you been up to? Yes. Yeah, so I... Uh, Started in, in Lund studying at LTH uh, in a program called Information and Communication uh, Technology. And I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was a lot of like, um, like a technical uh, program, of course, but I thought it was a lot of talking and all that. Okay. Um, but it was computer science. So uh, it was, you go first three years, uh, I think it was together with the computer science. Uh, so information and communication techniques was actually about how internet, uh, thinking about um, the technology behind the internet, etc. cetera. Uh, so when I started there, I didn't have a computer. I had never coded. So first years was just coding. So I started off with pen and paper uh coding first half year uh, and really really enjoyed it so that's how i came into uh, becoming a developer um and throughout my uh, my time in lund i started a web design company uh it was basically me doing websites and uh, sometimes i took in uh, consultants that helped me with bigger projects but we did a lot of websites for mid-sized companies uh in sweden um also uh, helped out with uh action sports web tv channel called white tv okay mm, cool this was 2006 so it was quite early and it wasn't super successful but we did that for one two years it was it's really fun and um when it was time for uh, my um master thesis uh we are around 2008 9 then i decided to not do them uh, and start refined instead. So already then, while studying, you you started this company. Oh yeah, yes. So uh, it was I, I did a consultancy gig through my web uh, design company um, at a at a Malmo company called The Astonishing Tribe. So uh, quite well known here in the area, and that's where I got to know Atlassian the first time. So they were using Atlassian Jira and Atlassian Confluence, uh, and my job there was to uh, help 
convert Confluence into more like an intranet. Okay. Uh, so that was the first time I, I heard about Atlassian and realized that Atlassian has already back then a great, uh, great APIs for extend, extendability and, uh, and you can actually build uh, plugins as they were called back then uh, already. So. And what we will see here in, in this episode is that your company, Refined, has a very intimate relation with Atlassian. But what we can do first, because everyone might not be familiar with Atlassian and their products, so could you just describe them a little bit before we go in and uh, talk about Refined? Yes, of course. So Atlassian is an Australian software company, and they are founded back in 2003. Um, they are mainly known for Jira, which is an issue tracking tool that is pretty much the standard in, in software development right now. And um, later, they also moved into IT service management uh, with Jira. When you say issue tracking, yes, it sounds like uh, you're tracking uh, problems. Yes. Um, so yeah, it can be problems. It can be bugs, but it can be tickets. Like Think about it as a ticket, um, ticket tracking tool. So it can be something that you need to do, uh, a bug, uh, a feature request. Uh, Etc. So, so it's like Zendesk for developers. Yes, you could. Uh, that's one way of describing, especially the ITSM part. But I think Atlassian would prefer to do it the other way around because they were before <laughs> Zendesk. But yeah. So and nowadays you can actually use Jira for more business uh, processes as well. So there is companies using it outside software development projects, but they have been really big in the software development space and. As you know, most companies around the world are developing software, so they have a, a huge impact and, uh, and a really big customer base. They have later also acquired uh, Trello and um, Bitbucket, for example. Yeah, I have some experiences with it, you know, when you do feature development and so on, that you break it down into small user stories or tasks and, and keep that structure and that you can follow up on the progress in the, yeah, in the different features or... Uh, or so that you develop. But all right, so you came into the Astonishing Tribe uh, to, to help them with their um, Atlassian um, solutions. And uh, how did this transition into a business? So that was 2008 and 2009. I was about to write my master thesis and uh, I'm, I'm a little bit dyslectic. So writing a report for a half a year wasn't really what I wanted to do. Uh, and then I had this in the back of my head that you can create a product uh, on top of Atlassian Confluence. So Confluence is the document collaboration tool um, that goes well well with, with Jira. Right. So um, then I simply decided to uh, do that instead of finishing my and taking my degree. So, so I did all the courses. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so basically running the whole race, but on the finish line, I decided, yeah, let's not do it. Okay. So I, I, I moved to, um, to Malmö instead. We joined uh, the Malmö incubator, Mink, here in Malmö. And uh, uh, it was me and my co-founder, Jimmy. So we, we started uh, building Refined instead. And um, that decision was purely driven by having fun, uh, to be honest. It's... Uh, Atlassian back then they were 120 people, and um, and now fast forwarding uh, to um, 2023 they are close to 10,000. Wow! So from a business point of view, uh, be building a business on top or on the back of a company that is more than like around 100 people, it's uh, 
it's a bit risky, but we didn't think like that. It was more like, we can do this. We think that uh, other companies would benefit from, from this product. So we start building it. And what does your product actually do? Yes. So Refined is a site builder. Uh, so you can turn Confluence and Jira into in- intranets, documentation sites, uh, support sites, uh, partner portals, etc. So we, you can bring uh, your conf- uh, Confluence and Jira content and functionality out to more people for more purposes. Okay. So helping Atlassian's customers to do more with their Atlassian tooling investments. Cool. And, and who's your ideal customer in this? So that's a, it's a hard question to, uh, to answer because we, we have now close to 5,000 companies um, around the world using our product uh, from 101 country, to be exact. <laughs> what was the 101th company, the, the last one? I, I actually, actually don't know exactly which uh, con- country it is because I just have like uh, in, the, in the BI tool, I see the number because it goes from 99 up to 100 and then down to 99 and then suddenly... 101. So. Did you celebrate 100? No, we haven't done that yet, but we should. You should do it. You should. You should always take the opportunity to celebrate. We, we celebrate everything here, Emre. <laughs> yes. We, we, we were really good at celebrating also before pandemic, but yeah. it's getting harder to do it uh, remote, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously for us, it's easier, but it, like we celebrate everything and all the time. But it's rather simple. We we have this uh, local pizzeria in Lund, <laughs> where they serve like really nice and dirty kebabs. Oh, that sounds good. That's that's where we go to, like big b- big or small. That's where we celebrate. <laughs> that sounds nice. It was ICP. Yes, <laughs> the customers. Um, so we we have customers like NASA, uh, Apple, uh, Facebook, or Mida, um, wow. Twitter, Airbnb. But we also have customers like uh, ten user companies in Africa or in in uh, in Australia. So it's it's a it's a very wide range of different types of customers and also from different businesses. We are a lot of banks are using us, and there is um, a lot of governmental uh, organizations around the world. So it's companies that have Atlassian. That is our ideal customer profile and that's what is also the beauty of the of being in an ecosystem because it's really defined <laughs> but if if we look at um the um, the best tier for us where we make the most money it's around 2000 users so it's fairly big companies where we make the most uh, money okay but i can share a story that's quite quite interesting when when we uh released the first version of the product because back then atlassian had they didn't have a marketplace where they handle payments, but they had a marketplace where they distribute different apps. And we developed the app during the first year and released it in November 2009. Um, and all apps had 30-day free trial. And so we were like in early December, we, we thought like, okay, we know that we had some downloads, but we, we didn't know like, how is this going to go? And, and before the four-week mark, so on the week uh, between three and four, uh, we got three big sales from three different uh, 500 user uh, companies in the US. Mm. And that was our first sales. That was like companies we have never talked to. Uh, and they, they bought like within uh, four days, all these three. 
and then we thought like, oh my God, this is, uh, <laughs> this is actually working. Yeah. Uh, and we, we just did a PayPal integration on our website and, and just put it up. Uh, no marketing, just put it up. And, and then it starts rolling from there. So, so that's, that's where we realized we, we can bootstrap this. Or to be honest, we didn't have any option because uh, at 2008, 2009, it's what's hard to uh, get an investment, even if you want it. Yeah. How big was the marketplace then? It's hard to tell in terms of revenue because it was just, they were just distributing. But Yeah, but how many apps were already there when you put your solution up there? I don't remember exactly, but we are one of the first vendors. So we wasn't the first, but I think there was a couple of vendor company founded in 2007. Um, so a couple of years before us. Okay. But um, we were, we are, we were one of the, of the first vendors. So maybe between 30 to 50 different apps, something like that. Okay. So uh, <laughs> slightly less than now then. <laughs> yes. Now it's like thousands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, you already dropped some numbers on us and alluded to obviously you have customers in 101 countries. And I think you mentioned here that you, you were about 100 employees, right? No, we, we are, um, so Atlassian was 100 employees when we start building and uh, we, we are, right now we are closing in on 50. So I think we are 45 or 46. Okay, and, and, and what is your ARR right now and, and how fast are you guys growing that ARR? Yeah, we are at $11 million uh, ARR right now, uh, we are growing um, for the last five years with uh, an average 37%. Okay. So almost 40%. And this is organic growth. So we have been bootstrapping um, from, from zero to, to now. Uh, we, we took in a growth partner one year ago. Right. Um, but we are still growing organically since. Okay. Very good. And, and how much money did you bring in and what, what was the reason? Because you already had, you know, like you say, a functioning business. Yeah. So, so actually when, when we decided to take on um, a growth partner, we did it more for knowledge uh, and getting more competence into the company. And, and we figure, or after a while, we realized that uh, uh, this was a good possibility and we can do it on a minority uh, stake. So without losing control over the company. So, for me and Jim, it's been always important to to be long term and uh, and to to uh, feel that we have have control of what we have built and uh, and that is sort of part of the fun. We have built this for us also to have a good good um, workplace. Yeah, yeah. So um, so we realized we could do that, and um, so that's why we brought in our uh, growth partner, Standout Capital. Uh, last year so so i'm curious when you say uh you brought them in for knowledge what type of knowledge gaps did you look to like you know close yeah so so refine have been we have been doing product and we have a really good support team mm -hmm. so that is what refine have been throughout the first 10 years uh, we have done some marketing of course but it's it's we we and we had no sales uh, internally so um we are missing competence a little bit on the commercial aspect you could say uh because the good thing being being within an ecosystem is that you get a lot of that uh for free so business model all all apps have basically the same business model uh like atlassian um you get a fantastic go-to-market motion through the marketplace uh, all these customers they um find your app through a marketplace you don't need to do that much marketing of course we do marketing in the atlassian space sponsoring events, etc. Uh, but it's, um, you can do it very efficiently. 
So now when we are growing the company, we realize that there is, there is commercial uh, thinking that we are missing. Um, so we thought that was a, was a good opportunity. And then we interviewed a lot of uh, different growth partners around the world, most of them from the US. And, uh, and this was an, at um, November, around October, November 2021, when it was as as hottest as possible when times were good when times were good <laughs> and and i think for us then hearing when you talk to a really big player from from uh, from the states they have like a throw tons of money on the balance sheets and we're gonna hire like double the company in one year and it's like this rock and roll thing which didn't it haven't had it didn't resonate well with what we have done so far um with with the company and growing in an ecosystem we we don't need to take all of the market directly because the ecosystem itself is growing etc so then we landed uh instead with uh with standard capital that's were uh had a more more healthy view of growth that align more with what we are doing and our uh joint um vision aligned as well and uh they they did this investment with their we were the first investment i think in their second fund okay. so they can be also quite long term that that we want to be so gotcha. a lot of things align there and then they are they're really smart people and and what i like with them is uh, i'm learning a lot and and they are good at listening and also uh um hearing what we are saying and and uh, so it feels like a a really good uh, collaboration and then for us it's we feel quite safe because we are the majority owner still. So, so yeah. <laughs> to me and Jimmy, we are in control in, in a way. So I think that's... Uh, How much do you guys own? We, we, we don't disclose exactly uh, the numbers from, uh, from it, but, but we have a, a clear majority, uh, me and Jimmy. Okay, so you're still in full control. Awesome. Yes. Hey, uh, that, that's great. And thanks for, for putting things in perspective here. But uh, we're going to talk now about what it actually means to, to build a company that lives in somebody else's world or, or ecosystem and you talked a little bit you know via your, your personal journey here how it, it sounds to me you stumbled across this opportunity a little bit yes yes but you know if you go back if you go back and like do you think there were any special characteristics when you realize i'm going to build a company mm. and it's going to be dedicated to this sphere was there any decisions you had to make there when you were building that company mm. that you think are unique to, to companies like yours that live in that Atlassian ecosystem that might be different from companies that are, you know, not ecosystem dependent? Yeah, that is a good question. And, and I think, uh, first of all, you're right. There was a lot of opportunities and coincidences and luck for us um, when we started this, this journey. But one thing that we did early on that I think was, was a good decision was First year, 2009, before we released, you know, we had no money. I had some money from, from my web design uh, business that I've saved. And, you know, we came straight out of school. So we were used to living on, on very um, little money every month. Mm -hmm. uh, but we needed to get something in. So we start doing some, I think we had two consultancy. So we, we, we helped customers that had Confluence around here in Sweden, two different ones. So it was almost it was like borderline helping building the product but also some you know traditional consultancy and then we met one person that told us you need to decide either you are a product company or a consultancy company right and 
that person described it extremely black and white. And of course, that's, that reality isn't that black and white. But when you think about it, it's, it's a different company you're building if you, if you, do, if you have consultancy uh, and not. And we, we thought that, okay, we want to be a product company. And that means that it's going to take a little bit longer time until the revenue really is going to grow. Um, because getting consultancy gigs, it's, uh, you, you, can, you can hire more people and uh, increase the revenue short term a little bit faster usually because doing the whole product-led growth, it's, it takes time uh, until it starts spreading and, and you get the volumes. So I think that was one of the early decisions that we make that, yeah, we're going to be a, a product company and that's put us on a path where we needed to be very efficient uh, in terms of how much we spent. Um, throughout the first year. Uh, a consequence of that was when we, we first uh, sponsored uh, an Atlassian summit in San Francisco. This was back in 2010. And everyone that have been sponsoring uh, different events in the US knows that the, the companies that are organizing the, the show floors, they are like, they're taking so much money for like a share, if you want to rent a share for one day, or if you want to rent a screen. <laughs> so we looked at the prices and it's like, this, for renting a screen for our little bronze booth that we we uh, we, we have, um, have bought was, was the same price or more of actually buying that screen in a store. Mm. So we thought like, let's, uh, let's not rent. We, we go to Best Buy and we bought the screen. Uh, and uh, as we are Swedes, we are walking there as well. Uh, when where you are not supposed to walk of course. in San Francisco, <laughs> and then we brought it to to the conference place. They looked at us was like very skeptical, but we we got in with it, and uh, and uh, then we brought that screen home as well. Uh, so uh, so we we needed to do those things to to uh, keep the budget down a little bit. Yeah. So you, you mentioned um, going to to this fair, and um, is there any other ways that you market yourself within an ecosystem and how important are these fairs would you say yeah i think they are they are really that's that's the main marketing opportunity at least back then that was the main marketing activity we did when and we do when we were sponsoring an event we we thought it from three different angles one is that of course we want to meet customers so uh, getting leads to to more, more people trying out our product but then another piece was to to build a relationship with Atlassian because obviously when you build something on top of another company you you need to have a good relationship with Atlassian and the third part was to build a good relationship with solution partners so Atlassian have a a great solution partner uh, motion where there is companies all around the world implementing and selling uh, Atlassian together with apps so different consultancy companies around the world, um, they are also selling Refined together with Confluence or together with Jira. Um, so for us, sponsoring those events was the most important. I think that is also similar to other ecosystems. So what you need to do is that most the ecosystem have this sort of consultancy or partner motion and, and spending time and, and getting to know them is, a, in, is, is very important. And for, for us now, it's, 70% of our revenue come from the partner channel. Okay. And what's their incentive to sell refined? Do they get a kickback or what does that look like? Yeah. So they, they get one, uh, a kickback, but that, that is, um, I think, depending on if it's a new sale or a renewal, but it's around 5%, 10%. So it's not like a, 
like a big piece. Atlassian takes around 20%. Uh, okay. So, but what they get out of it is that they can, uh, for example, if they would uh, uh, sell an internet to uh, a customer based on Confluence and Refined, then they can sell a lot of hours of uh, training, also talking about content uh, strategy, how to implement, how to maintain content, etc. So, so there is a lot of training and implementation uh, that the consultant can do. So it's, it's more about that than, than the license uh, kickback for most of the partners out there. Do you also provide resources or, or so regarding that with the, you know, the more soft um, skills around how to build and best practices and such? Or are you just the tech company here? Yeah, so that, that is... Uh, so previously, we have been just a tech company, but uh, right now, one of the areas that we are investing in right now is the, the thought leadership. We realize that we need to, um, we have a good opportunity to, to guide customers better to success, also for the strategies around content or, or support or um, whatever the use case are. But so, so that is a very interesting area for us that we are currently, uh, currently investing in. Okay. So besides, you know, the partner sales and the exhibitions, what, what other ways can you market your solution uh, yeah, in the Atlassian ecosystem? What's good is that we, as we talked about earlier about our ICP, so we say that Confluence and Jira, you need to have those to be a, become a customer. So then we have a great way of filtering. So there is um, on, on different platforms like LinkedIn, we can, we can target people um, from, from Confluence and Jira parameters. So, so that is one way of doing it. Um, and then I think the most efficient um, other channel that we have right now is, is purely content that we, we do thought leadership blogs, et cetera, uh, to, to um, get people in from, from SEO. But the, the biggest channel is the marketplace. Yeah. And just being there, uh, ranking on, on the list, et cetera. So you can survive uh, as a, a Atlassian vendor without doing any marketing, I think. Just putting your app up. How do you rank well uh, on the marketplace? Yeah, so you can rank. So it's, uh, you can filter on, on downloads so that you're trending. A lot of people trying it out. And it's also top selling. So uh, from, from the revenue that you bring in. Uh, then I think they also have, uh, depending on the ratings as well. Okay. But the... For us, that's been in the ecosystem for a long time. We we rank well uh, on on uh, on most of them, uh, also because we have been around so far. So it's uh, so when you're starting out new, you need to work, I think, a little bit more harder than we needed to do back in the days. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My News Desk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My News Desk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. You said just a few minutes ago that, you know, in the beginning, you spent a lot of time and energy building a relationship with Atlassian and all these, you know, system integrators. Uh, and that world looked very different now. And if I and Thomas, we would have a gr grand idea right now 
that we also want to like you know publish in the Atlassian ecosystem. I'm guessing that Atlassian, you know, their uh, VP of strategic partnership would not necessarily take an hour to sit with us to strategize on things. Like we are like just one of thousand apps. Like how do you concretely build that relationship? Is it just by proving that, look, we're bringing a bunch of revenue, so you got to like hang with us or is there other way? Yeah. And I, I, so nowadays I, I would argue that you don't need to build that relationship because the marketplace is so mature. So all the resources to get started and all that information is already there. Then of course there is these opportunities where you can do co-marketing sometimes, but it's Atlassian is like it's a big company now, and they are of course uh, driven by by their commercial thinking, and uh, and it's sometimes quite hard to get into that. I think in the early days it was so more so much more crucial to know people, to know the developers even if you have problems and challenges. Now it's a little bit more mature in that way that that uh, you don't really have uh, that one-to-one relationship with uh, that many people except we have a technical uh, partner manager that is our contact into atlassian and that person helps now getting us the help because now they are like almost ten thousand, and it's they are switching positions and it's and i think just in the confluence um confluence product they have like 10 plus product managers uh, in in that product you, you don't really know how to contact etc so it's uh, it's it's really hard to keep track yeah but what I would recommend uh, a new vendor to do is travel to all the partner events because the Atlassian Solution Partners, they organize their event themselves. And that is a great opportunity to meet with the partners and, and spread the awareness that you exist that way. So I think that's, that's what, what I would, uh, would recommend. Cool. Do you know what companies are using Atlassian products? There, no, there, there, there is these lists that people want to sell to you where they have gathered all these information which is <laughs> not of course gdpr compliance we are always saying no to that so uh, there is there is no way for us like to do some some outbound activity no uh, did the they have a uh, confluence but not refined no yeah not that i am aware of at least okay okay i was also curious so you mentioned that there's a kickback both to atlassian they, they take whatever it was 20 percent, and the, the partners that are running this also take some who owns the customer? How is the commercial relationship here? Like, well, when I, because it sounded like in the beginning you said, you, you know, when you started this, there were four customers that seemingly, you know, swiped their card and they were ready to go. Like, do they sign the contracts with you or with Atlassian or with the partners? Yeah. So um, um, they signed a, they signed their contract with Atlassian for the platform. Yeah. But when they buy, uh, through the Atlassian marketplace, it's our end user license agreement. It's attached to to that. So then they sign the contract with us when they buy our app. So we own that relationship for our app part, and Atlassian own it for for their platform part. Yeah. So um, so we we can contact all all the customers and and have that relationship if we want. It's just that for us, it's been that's been one of the biggest challenges because when you have a product led growth motion that is really going volume. You cannot have that one-to-one relationship uh, with that many customers. So, at times, we have a problem that we don't we don't even uh, have that conversation, except if they reach out in support. So it's hard sometimes for us to get uh, get feedback on the product, etc. Especially uh, in the early days when we were building uh, solely for on-prem, where no data were sent out. Now in cloud, of course, we can see 
we we have more tools to see activity, etc. But um, but that's have been always a, a big challenge for us to to build that close relationship. So I think it's um, if if we if we turn it around and talk about sales led motion, when you have someone actively reaching out and doing demos and converting, and then you're handing over to an account executive or a CSM, right? You know, then you have all that built, and you know how to think through the process what made them question if they're going to buy or not. And all that information can be provided to the product team. Yeah. So that is one, one, uh, one challenge for us that we sometimes don't know because we don't have that kind of uh, uh, conversation. Right. And for us, we have a lot of companies trialing our product that we don't talk to uh, because we don't have resources to, to talk to them. But we also know that 30% of the companies trialing us, they buy us. Yeah, we have a thirty percent conversion rate from trial to to buy. So it's, of course, if if we we have we believe now that we actually can get that number up. So now we are gonna help and invest more in that area. But when you look at those numbers, thirty percent and compare it to the industry standard, it's like uh, it's a pretty good number. Yeah, we'll take it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm also curious, and this is coming from a sales guy that knows nothing essentially about building products, but what is the dependency, if there are any, for you guys when you sit with your you know, engineering teams, like we're going to build something now, and maybe says like, oh, hold on, actually, we can't do it yet because there's an Atlassian release coming up and we can't do it before they do that. Is that how it works or like how dependent are you on them? Yeah, so that is a really good question. And uh, the answer is yes, we are very dependent on what's happening. So when Atlassian release if we're talking the on-prem world, um, that was uh, so. So Atlassian have a big push to cloud, like all companies. So, but on-prem, there is a data center distribution that is still uh, active and gonna live for years to come for for really really big companies. But it's a subscription-based model. But when they release a data center for a data center new version of Confluence data center, we need to instantly jump on it. Make sure that we are compatible. If there is uh, changes to the APIs, like that can totally shift uh, our the weeks for our developers when that's happening. Yeah. But if you think about cloud, where things are happening more continuously, uh, new APIs coming, and sometimes they release a bug in an API, etc. So, so Atlassian are. Yeah, they there is a lot of things that they can do that that will affect our roadmap and agenda. It can be a new possibility, or it can be that they are moving into an area uh, that that can cause a, a new opportunity, or it can be something that is gonna be uh, be something negative for us, or and so on. So, so you are like really dependent. That is too simple. Yeah, and that that takes me to my next question here because it sounds kind of risky to put all your eggs in one basket right yes. to work within one ecosystem so um do you have a plan b uh, no uh we, we don't have a plan b and we have never had a plan b and in the early days this was like we got these questions all the time yeah and people were like because atlassian were smaller back then and also the risk but i think if you think about the risk you also need to look at the opportunity so when 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 me and Jimmy and we had two students working, they are by the way still here at Refined eleven years later, which is I'm really happy about. 
Um, and back then they were students. Now they are very senior people because it's got 11, 11 years. Students of life now. <laughs> yes, yes, maybe. Maybe we can refer to them like that. But when, um, like when in, in that, I think it was in 2012 or 13, we were sitting at a restaurant here in Malmö uh, Bastard, which was like a, almost like an institution before. And I looked at my email and I, and I saw like, oh shit, we probably got NASA as a customer. <laughs> And uh, and it's because we got like a NASA.gov thing, mm -hmm. you know, um, and and uh, and that is like the risk of building this for Atlassian. You need to have that in mind that you can very early on build a product and then you suddenly get this extremely big company start using your your product. So it's sort of part of the whole thing. Like, the for, yes, you have you have a little bit of risk, but then you also uh, have a lot of upside and opportunity. Yeah. Um, and I think for us now, when we have been doing this since 2009, uh, you can also ask like, yeah, we have been having this risk, but now we are still here, we are growing, etc. And you can be smart, you build and make sure that you are in an area that doesn't, that is a good complement to Atlassian and, and maybe not that they, some, that they would move into because there is different. I, I I look at apps from a from a, there is product apps and there is feature apps, and the feature apps is where you are in the danger zone. You're doing something that it's just one feature. So yeah, I can take an example of a. There is an app doing number headings. So converting headings on a page with number before them. That is what the app do. And this app sells like crazy on the marketplace. Yeah. So the, the, the developers of this have made a lot of money uh, just doing this super simple app. But if, for example, Atlassian would decide to do number headings, like no one would like, yeah, yeah, it's like obvious that they can do that. But for example, if they would um, um, do what we do, like we, we, so Atlassian focus a lot on the power users, the developers. We focus a lot on presenting the work and exposing the services that they do. So we focus on another target group. Okay. And it's really hard, for example, to build one user interface that is great for uh, new users um, that's just consuming information. And the same user interface should be used for power users. So in, instead, it's better that they focus on the power users and we can focus on building, um, building that presentation layer instead. Right. Uh, and I think you need to think about your 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 uh, your business like that instead. So you make sure that you have um, a good product that makes sense, that it's a complement to to the platform. Uh, then in most cases you're gonna be um, so so far Atlassian. They are sometimes acquiring uh, vendors, uh, but there haven't been like a major area where they have run over a, a bigger vendor so far. It's probably also a little bit strategic to them because they don't want to like send the wrong signals to this fantastic ecosystem that fuels them so much. But coming back to Thomas' question, then, like you know, it seems like you're managing the risk and you have it under control. Then, if you flip it around, you've been so successful in that Latvian ecosystem. Why not do other ecosystems as well? Yeah, we, we we've been talking about going outside for a lot of years, and there might be good opportunities. But we need to compare that opportunity toward what we have already, because building that go-to-market uh, engine or 
or like tapping into a new ecosystem will probably not be exactly the same as Atlassian. So it's going to be a lot of resources and, and a risk doing that. And when we look at our business right now, we are at $11 million in ARR, but we have around 3% of Confluence and Jira customers. And though that pool of customers is growing, we think that we can get to 25%. So there's a huge opportunity to stay in Atlassian where we are extremely efficient, we know everything, and it's a, it's a really good business for us. So, so that's, that's why we are currently... Uh, Thing. <laughs> I'm trying. I th- I'm trying to do the math, Thomas. Are you doing the same? Like, yeah, me. But but that would mean that you can get to a hundred million, hundred million in ARR. Uh, quick math. <laughs> yes, yes, and I think we can expand more, more than that. So to give you some perspective, so the Atlassian marketplace, the revenue um, in 2011, the all-time revenue had been two billion. Now we are almost like one billion dollar a year in revenue on selling apps. And this is like a, starting to get into like a big, uh, big number. And what's, what's unique with Atlassian ecosystem that companies have always been willing to pay for good apps. So our cloud product is actually a SaaS product, but we sell it as an app just to tap into this motion. So you basically what you buy is a little integration, and then you get access to the SaaS product. Cool. So what is in the future for a company besides being a unicorn within the Atlassian ecosystem? So um, we, we have always been very focused and, and we are gonna, we're going to continue this path and, and, um, and keep expanding uh, in the Atlassian ecosystem, build supporting more use cases. We believe that if you think about Confluence, it's a document and uh, Jira is ticketing and, and it's a workflow engine. If you combine those, you can construct a lot of different systems. So with Refined, in the future, you can implement more use cases out going into, for example, learning management would be one, one area that we can tap into. Uh, so now we are big in internet, documentation, and support. And there's going to be a lot of those. So that's something that we, we are going to look into. For we, we have big customers that are going from a legacy system and using Confluence and Refined and so, so solving the same thing, but the cost is going to be reduced quite a bit because they already have Confluence and Refined is much cheaper uh, as an app than buying a totally different legacy system. So, so that's a quite interesting um, area for us to expand more within um, different companies. So our goal is that companies that are using Refined, they should create multiple sites and multiple use cases. Right. We have custom, like big, big customers that have uh, to not name, name, mention name, but they are more than 100,000 employees. So a really, really big company. They have created 55 different sites on top of their Confluence instance, supporting different use cases. Yeah. So you can get a lot of value by expanding that uh, internally. So that's something that we're going to double down on more going forward. So is there anything particular you feel that when you look at your, your organization, the setup and the opportunity ahead of you that you just described, that you feel like, we need to lock this in here. I need these things going forward, whether that's people or money or whatever that is. What is that? Yeah, I think for us, it's, uh, it's um, you know, we are 45, soon 50 people. And it's, it starts getting, you realize that you really need to think about your organization from a strategic point of view. Uh, you need to uh, think about how you're hiring, how you're onboarding and all that. So there is a lot of, work there we're doing currently and we we need to learn and improve and and do that better um then i think it's uh 
to get to the next level, there is moving to cloud now, big customers have so much more requirements in terms of um, compliance, security, availability than you had when you're buying on-prem because on-prem they control themselves. They can lock it totally uh, in their their infrastructure and and uh, and so on. But on cloud, you are more dependent on on the cloud vendor. And then we are seen as a quite small player being 50 people. So so for us now, a big investment is in all the certification, the SOC 2 and the ISO stuff. There is a lot of in infrastructure and, and all that we need to do as well. Exactly. I, I can see that. Uh, or imagine all the SOC 2 certified people that feel like finally that certification came handy. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> definitely. So is there a person that we could get on the show that would make you really excited is there anyone that you think we should interview here so i've been i've been thinking a little bit about that and um i think for for me i i, I would like to hear more from leadership or or ceos from the that's building more pure technology company that is more on the product-led growth side uh that's that really having that perspective because there is a when you think about product-led growth versus sales-led there is a lot of sales led that say that we want to move into product led growth right but it's it's such a fundamental different way of running a company and i think what it's usually missed is actually on on the very top in the leadership team how you think about technology and product long term the culture you need to build to attract the talent to to actually do a very competitive product um for the long term because it's not only about doing a really good onboarding and removing friction that is that's super simple stuff to do, but it's the hard part is to build that high quality product that companies want to use for the long term, and that's also when those that succeed with that, like like Atlassian, is one of the best product led growth examples. Like they invest uh, a really really big amount of their revenue into R and D. So I think sales and marketing is around. Uh, 20%. Okay. Do you have a name? <laughs> I, so I was thinking about that's that's my 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 problem is that I I'm not that frequent, you know, mingler and listening to podcasts etc. I'm not doing that that much. I'm basically just work. Okay. But I have one company that I'm impressed of. It's the the Mapillary here in Malmo. Okay. Um they have done and also the the founders there have done some previous journeys that is quite interesting and and sold to both uh, Apple and Facebook. Um Yeah. So one of those you should go for definitely we'll take it the, these are the guys that did the the photo inspired location based something right or yes they did uh, yeah crowdsources uh, photos for for um yes yeah, yes. yeah fantastic pitch then yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> really great having you on the show emil it's really inspiring what you have been able to accomplish and uh, amazing success and best of luck moving forward thank you very much thank you so much for coming on the show bye bye now bye bye Daniel, what's your takeaway from this episode? I love that uh, in our job here, and uh, this is a little bit of a personal story for me now, uh, I must admit, I hate to admit it, but I must admit that I did not know of Refined or Emil before we started SAS Nordic. And I think that's one of the beautiful things, like there's so many hidden gems out there. Like if, if you look at their business and their numbers, they're one of the best performing business in the B2B SaaS space here in the Nordics. Uh, and there's plenty of those. And, and I love how they've, they've built their business. And I think I also uh, 
really appreciate how he stuck to his guns and to his idea and philosophy of they want to build a business uh, in a certain way and they, they were not tempted to, to jump on the uh, VC track too early. Not saying that the VC track is, is wrong in any way, it's great for many people, but for them it wasn't the right thing to do early on and they stuck to their plan and it's, it's paying off now. So I, I think that, that that was really cool. And um, I think another thing that just, you know, betting on the right type of partnerships. Now in their case, it's very specific, you know, they're living in an ecosystem, but I, I look at it as like, you know, it's channel sales and channel sales can be really great for you if you get it done right. Yeah, now you took two. I have more, but I'm going to be generous here and be like, go, go for it. <laughs> so first um, I would say that I think if you want to succeed in in an ecosystem it's a big advantage if you can be an uh, an early mover so to speak so there's not too much noise so if you can find a solution that is on the rise and they start a marketplace that could definitely be an opportunity there and i think besides that i'm with i'm totally with you daniel that uh, it's a big opportunity around the solution partners and if it's a huge ecosystem and it's hard to stand out on a fair with atlassian uh, i think as uh, emil said going to the events that the solution partners are doing and build relations there with end customers and with those solutions partner is a really great thing to do so uh, good tip there from from emil definitely Definitely. No, this was uh, an exciting episode, just like uh, all other episodes, at least according to us. If you also appreciate these episodes, I, we, we talk about it uh, <laughs> in every episode, there is a five-star button somewhere. Please hit it. And if you have any further advice for people and guests that we should have on the show, don't be shy. Let us know. You know where to find us. Absolutely. And if this topic uh, resonated with you and you want to hear something similar, we actually talk to another company that also lives in the Atlassian ecosystem. I think it's number eight when we talked with Olaf uh, at Tempo in Iceland. That is a similar solution. So you can listen to that as well if you want to go back in, in the archives. Um, well, what else? Um, thank you for listening again. And I hope to see you at Sassiest. Definitely. We'll see you there. Take care now.